good to see everybody this morning. We are going to continue on in our series Christmas Hang-Ups, and we're going to talk this morning about the tough stuff that can happen in our lives around Christmas and how we handle it. And I thought it'd be appropriate as we do that, that we dig into a character in the Christmas story, Joseph, who dealt with some tough stuff. So let's look at what Matthew tells us. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet he didn't want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is in her is conceived by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did exactly what the angel of the Lord had commanded him to do, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he didn't consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So I think all of us have like very specific fun memories about Christmases growing up. It may not be a ton of them for you, but there's at least a couple. I started thinking about this this week, and um, I can specifically remember Christmas when I was five years old, 1965. I was uh, five years old, and I remember that Christmas because it was the Christmas that my parents were declared mentally incompetent to have children. Uh, I know that because it's the only explanation I have for the fact that they would buy a full drum set for a five-year-old, right? Uh, I told my sister I had this memory, and she found this picture and sent it. That is me. Now, who was the, what was the most popular band in 1965? The Beatles, yeah. And so you can't see it here, but it, it actually is a... Liverpool compact drum set, right? So you notice I got a drum set. My older brother got a guitar. Neither one of us had ever had a lesson. Neither one of us would ever have a lesson. But the more I thought about this, I think it was my parents' attempt at a retirement plan. You know, like we were going to be the next Beatles. All I remember about that drum set is getting it on Christmas Day and the fact that by my birthday in the first week of February, that drum set had disappeared. So maybe they weren't completely incompetent, right? I also have uh, this long-lasting memory that's still a part of every Christmas for me. It's this this whole thing about setting up the nativity. Um, In our family, we had, I think there's going to be a picture. This is the one that we had. It's as close as I could find uh, on Google. And so... It was this 1950s nativity set my parents had had from their first year they were married. And I remember those pieces and how much fun it was to put them in place, to, to hang the angel at the top of the creche and, and put the angel there over Jesus and hope that at some point 
God didn't send this ominous sign to our family like the angel fell right on top of Jesus and broke him in half or something. You know, because I would, I mean, that would just be a sign from God that we're doomed. Um, I loved every one of the pieces, like the little shepherd boy holding the sheep. You know, I always made sure that he was turned toward and facing Jesus laying in the manger. Uh, and we'd go through this whole deal. We'd talk about each piece. We'd set, you know, set the, the wise men in there. We'd put the shepherds in there. We'd put the, you know, the cattle and the, the sheep and the whole thing. What occurred to me this week, though, was we didn't pay a whole lot of attention to Joseph. Like, we'd talk about everybody else, and we'd just go, oh, there's Joseph. He goes there. So anyway, and then there was Mary. I was like, he was an also-ran in the Christmas story. And then when you start digging into Scripture, you realize from Matthew's telling specifically, that Joseph was a huge part of the story. Joseph tells the Christmas story first from, I'm sorry, Matthew tells the Christmas story first from Joseph's perspective. And he paints a picture for us of a journey that was really tough for Joseph. It was full of pain and hard choices. There was some really tough stuff in this whole narrative for Joseph. And he was really young. You study cultural traditions of the Middle East and and especially Israel at that time, and what you begin to see is this pattern that, you know, kids were promised to each other around 11 or 12 years old. Now, think about that. That's middle school. That's sixth grade. My granddaughter went to sixth grade this year, and I thought about her as I dug into the story, and I went, so what would that have been like if she had gone to school that first day of middle school And they'd met her at the door and said, great, here's your schedule, here's your books, and here's the guy you're eventually going to marry, right? PTO got together with all the parents. We paired all the kids up. This is the best you're going to do. So, I mean, here's what you got. That's that's kind of what it was like in those little towns. You'd be pledged to somebody. The families would make a commitment. It wasn't a formal engagement, though, until you were older and wiser, like 17, right? Because you're... definitely old enough and wise enough at 17 to make that decision and raise a family. But that's what happened. So 17, 18, you know, they would go into this marital engagement period that could last a few months, up to a year, but somewhere in that year, you knew you were going to be married and start a family. So at this point, we engage the story. That's exactly where Joseph and Mary are. They're in that engagement period. They've been betrothed to each other for years. And they're getting really close to their wedding day. It's coming soon. Joseph's probably 17, 18 years old. Mary could have been as young as 14. They were just kids. This engagement period that Mary and Joseph were in was a legally binding agreement. It had the same legal weight as if they had been married and had this whole ceremony in front of the community. It was a legally binding agreement between them. So it was a huge deal. When according to Luke's account, Mary comes back from the hill country visiting her cousin Elizabeth. And at that point, she's four months pregnant. She's been gone for three months and she comes home with a baby bump. Can you imagine what Joseph felt? And the Bible doesn't tell us how he found out. It doesn't tell us that Mary went to him and tried to explain things to him and what she already knew. We just know that Joseph found out 
from somebody. It could have just been town gossip. And so he began to wrestle with this decision. And he had two choices in front of them. Neither one of them were good. According to Old Testament law, he could just simply go ahead with the wedding, not say a word, not raise any questioning here. And if he did that, then everybody in the community would just naturally assume, since he didn't protest about it, that it was his and Mary's baby. And once you reach that conclusion, Old Testament law allowed for that couple to be taken outside of the city and killed for their sin. That's not a great option for Joseph, right? But the other choice isn't any better. The other choice in front of him gave him permission, and Mary's condition gave him just cause to divorce her. The Bible says that he was in mind to put her away privately. This was made allowance in the Old Testament that he could have just pulled together two or three family members, maybe one from each side, and they could have just come to an agreement that he's going to walk away from this marriage. And if that's true, several things then begin to happen for Mary. She and her child would carry this social stigma and shame for the rest of their lives. Nobody else would want her as a spouse. She'd have no rights in life. And though it wasn't common by Jesus' day, it was possible that the religious leaders could rule that even though they'd been divorced, they could take Mary outside the city and execute her alone for her infidelity. Can you imagine the pain? You think, 17 years old and Joseph is dealing with this pain. It's a lot for anybody to carry. He's loved this girl his whole life. He's known her probably his whole life. And he's really close to his wedding date. And the Bible says now he's wrestling with these choices, life and death decisions, literally. And because he's a righteous man, he's struggling to balance God's justice and mercy in his decision. How's his faith going to play out? While Joseph is wrestling with that decision on a sleepy, sleepy, sleepless night, the Bible tells us that an angel came to him in a dream and said, you don't have to be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what's conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm sure that he wrestled with a lot of options and a lot of possibilities of what, what could have happened here. I'm confident that was not one of the things he came up with. This had never happened before in history. It was never going to happen again. So it was nowhere in his frame of mind. It doesn't. It's just crazy. And I love that in this story, there's not a hint of hesitation in Joseph's response. His deep love for God and his deep love for Mary make the decision really clear and nonetheless tough to make. The message from the angel removed his suspicions about Mary's unfaithfulness, and it washed away his fear about how this could ruin his life and his reputation and his honor. The Bible says Joseph woke up, and he did exactly what the angel of God had told him to do. He took Mary home as his wife. And when we understand the pressures and the tough stuff that Joseph was dealing with, all of a sudden we realize he's not an insignificant player in the first Christmas story. 
Joseph was the first to embrace God's new standard, a life lived out of love and grace, a life that was shockingly open and vulnerable. When we understand Matthew's words about Joseph and the choices he had to make, honestly, for me, it just helps me understand that there has never been a Christmas that's been without tough stuff. It started with the first one it carries on to today. I think every family has some stuff tough stuff they wade through when it comes to Christmas time. Experts tell us that it is the most stressful of all the holidays we celebrate. There are more calls to 911. There are more suicide calls and suicides attempted and successful suicides at Christmas than any other period of the year. And then there are calls to helplines for people who are just painfully lonely and scared at Christmas. I think the level of stress in our society in general increases. And admittedly, some of those stressors are not like a big deal. They're just temporary momentary stresses. Like, I mean, just a couple examples. One would be selecting the right Christmas tree. Is that a stress for anybody? It used to stress me out until we got an artificial one. And we just bring it up from the basement now. But we'd go out, we'd start looking. And in my mind, I had to find the perfect Christmas tree. Right? A Fraser fir that was perfectly shaped and no gaps, no holes in it. The only decision we had to make was, you know, were we going to like go to a lot where they were sitting there and we could see which one was perfect? Were we going to trust Costco? You know, and just go get one that's all bound up tight and you get what you get. Uh, kind of took some of the problem out of it. Or were we going to go out and kill a tree ourselves? Right? Just cut it down, save somebody the work and pay more for doing the work for them. And it really, in the end, I started to realize it really isn't about finding the perfect tree. There isn't a perfect tree that exists anywhere, is there? What it comes down to is finding a tree with the acceptable amount of flaws that you're willing to live with. Oh, we'll just turn that bare spot to the wall. Nobody will ever see it. Acceptable flaws. Oddly enough, that's the same philosophy my wife had when she went searching for a husband. All this time, I thought she had a perfect husband, and it turns out she just thought my flaws were acceptable. 37 years of marriage has taught her differently. (laughs) Then you get the tree home and then there's stress around the decorating. It's like you didn't get the lights right. There's bare spots. There's no lights there. And you've got to hang ornaments in the right place. And, you know, they're hidden or they're too exposed or they break the branch down because they're so heavy. It creates some stress for families. I miss the days of tinsel. Tinsel covered a multitude of sins, right? You know, you could hide that bare spot on the tree when you put a pound and a half of tinsel in that place. I don't know why they took it away from us. Giving gifts can be stressful. How many of you are still searching for the perfect gift for your family member, right? We spent one evening this week, I think it was Tuesday night. Connie was on her computer. I was on mine. We were sitting at the kitchen table. We were searching. And this one gift we're looking for, for a family member, uh, for our son, we were searching everywhere. What's also funny is that our daughter was in Clarendon Hills at their home. She was on her computer and we were texting pictures back and forth of what we were finding. And it wasn't available in the U.S. So now, no lie, we're looking in Yugoslavia. We're looking in Bulgaria. I mean, seriously, we're trying to get something shipped from Europe by Christmas. And after two hours of three of us combing the internet with no success, we finally said, enough. 
I was exhausted. I was stressed. We weren't going to find it. I just went to bed. My daughter didn't go to bed. Her OCD kicked in and she sent me texts for the next hour and a half. I, I think I found it. No, I didn't. Here it is. Got it. We're done. Yay. By that point, I was like, what I wanted to text was, I don't really care. I just want to go to sleep. Can stress us out. Now, admittedly, these aren't huge stressors. They're not like life-changing things, but they're stress added into our lives. Some of the things, though, get a little tougher. Like we try to cram more stuff into our already overscheduled lives. Dozens of parties and gatherings and shopping and all the stuff we got to do gets crammed into our already busy schedules, and it can create some stress. Holiday travel, especially if you have little kids, can be super stressful. We used to do this. We were insane. We would, this was Christmas for probably 10 years. We would wake up, we'd go to Christmas Eve services at our church. Then Christmas morning, we would wake up, wake the kids up. We'd open presents. Yay, presents, breakfast. And we'd go, okay, we got to go. And we would climb in the car and drive hundreds of miles to be with family we didn't even like. You know? (laughs) I mean, who in their right mind, don't hiss at me, um, who in their right mind does that? I mean, what little kid opens all their presents on Christmas morning and goes, cool, let's leave them here and go. So we let them take one. And and the upside of it was, you know, three days later when we came home, it was like Christmas all over again. They go, oh, I forgot I got that. It was just nuts. Some families live in Chicago and do the exact same thing. They don't travel out of state. They don't even travel out of Chicago land, but they'll go to three or four or five family gatherings between Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, and it's just stressful. Now, they're all good things, and they can all create stress in our lives too. And all of a sudden, we wake up and we go, I have this ideal picture of Christmas in my head, but it's not the life I'm living out. And what do we do with that dissonance? especially when it comes to the toughest stuff at Christmas. When Christmas comes down to financial pressures, when it comes down to contentious family members, when our holiday gets swallowed up by melancholy memories, you know, we've lost someone we love dearly or the relationship we are in has ended and that's going to make this a really tough Christmas. For a lot of people. And in those moments, we're just like Joseph and we find ourselves facing a decision. How do we deal with the stress that comes with the tough stuff in life? Because it's going to come. It's been a part of every Christmas since the first one. Uh, So I've I've taken my cues from Lance. (laughs) And I brought some stuff to the stage. A friend of mine, years ago, I was under some stress, and he said, what you need to do is get some stress balls. And so he said, so what you do is you just carry these around. I got some that are shaped like snowballs. I got faces on them. Um, Is when you feel stressed, you grab that stress ball, and you just squeeze the life out of it instead of grabbing the neck of the person who's creating your stress and squeezing the life out of them, right? So you just have these around, and you just squeeze them like, when you've got that one family member who always says something rude or insensitive or unkind at the family gathering and your stress level just starts to climb. Anybody got a family member like that? You got stress? Here you go. All right, let it also be noted, Lance never gives anything away that he has on the stage. 
I mean, he had a 50-pound bag of M&Ms up here last week. Did you get any? No, no. So you can email Lance at... No. What do you do when your boss comes to you and says, you're going to work some overtime? You don't have a choice. We need people. People are calling in sick. The flu's broken out. And you have to work Christmas Eve. You've got family gathering planned. How are you going to tell your family that you aren't going to be home Christmas Eve? Anybody got a situation like that where you're getting unnecessary hours added to your work week? Nice catch, Rick. Um, you've got all kinds of stressors in your life that are tougher and deeper than that. What if this is the Christmas that your ex has the kids and you're home alone for Christmas? What do you do with that stress? What do you do with all that stress that just begins to pile up when the money's gone and you know your kids are going to be disappointed? And all those stressors begin to hit, and instead of dealing with the stress, you're tempted to just bury the stress and binge on food or alcohol or mindless TV to try to escape it. Leave a couple of these on the stage if it'd help you as you're thinking about it to just have that. But the truth is, those aren't going to help with the deeper stuff. It might help you to think a little bit, but you still have to make some choices. Because you know the things this Christmas that's pressing your buttons. You know what's tough for you to handle right now around Christmas. So the question is, how are we going to deal with the tough stuff that's in our life right now? And honestly, I think the best path is the one that Joseph took. Just two simple things I'd suggest to you. One is to follow God, even when following God is hard. I've always wondered if when the angel finished his message to Joseph and left, if Joseph felt more or less peace. Before the angel came, he had the plan all figured out. He was going to divorce Mary quietly, and he was going to preserve his righteous reputation. After the angel, his life became way more difficult. God asked Joseph to venture into an uncertain future, with a disgraced teenage wife and an illegitimate child. That's the way people would see it. This plan was different. This plan was incredibly difficult and dangerous. And in spite of that, when he woke up from his sleep, he did what the angel had commanded him to do, and he took Mary as his wife. He chose the harder path. In spite of his fears... In spite of his doubts, in spite of his concerns, Joseph chose to obey God when it was really hard. The easy road would have been to abandoning, would have been to abandon Mary and go on with his life, but he knew that it was only the harder road that he would travel with God. Because God was shaping his character all through this. If we live our life of faith believing that faith should make us comfortable, then when we're faced with tough decisions, we'll take the easy road every single time. But in so doing, we miss the blessing. We miss the opportunity of walking with God down that tough road. We assume the easy road is going to be safer. 
more comfortable, less risky. But there is no safe road apart from God. Follow God, even when it's hard. And trust God, even when trusting is scary. I love that the angel just names Joseph's fear. He says, don't be afraid. Let go of your fear. Take Mary as your wife. What God was asking Joseph to do was really scary. I would love to know his thought patterns at that moment. Because this isn't the life he had planned out. This was way off plan for him. And trusting God didn't mean his journey was going to get any less scary. In fact, it got a little more scary. I mean, they did all the preparations when Mary was like 11 months pregnant and went to Bethlehem to register for the taxes, assuming that they'd make the 100-mile journey, they'd stay a little bit, and then they'd make a 100-mile journey home. What happened in Bethlehem? God said, no, you can't go home. It's too dangerous. The child is at risk, and so are you. So I'm going to send you to Egypt to live for a few years. That wasn't something he had planned. That was a long journey. All told, traveling from Nazareth to Bethlehem to Egypt and then back home was a 2,000-mile journey on foot. It got way harder. But Joseph chose to trust God. He chose to obey God, even when it was hard, even when it was scary. We don't have many glimpses of Joseph's life from the Gospels, but what we do know is that every single time we encounter him in Scripture, He is trusting God completely, trusting God wholeheartedly every time. And it was way beyond his comfort zone. Not just to marry Mary, but to think about what it would be like to raise the Son of God who would be the Savior of the world. So let me bring it really down to some personal questions this morning. And I don't want you to answer out loud. I don't want you to raise your hand. I just want you to think. Are you dealing with any tough stuff this Christmas? Where is God asking you to trust him, to follow him into some really tough stuff? Got any fear, any worry in your life today? What is it this morning that's fighting you for control of your thoughts and your actions, and your relationships. Maybe you had a plan for your life and you've kind of figured it would have all been sorted out by now and you've gotten way off plan. Maybe you're praying right now that God will intervene. It'd be kind of nice to have an angel speak to you in your dream, wouldn't it? Say, here's the path God set before you. Maybe you're just praying for a word from God. Or maybe... You know what choice you need to make. It's just tough to take that first step. No matter wherever you are, no matter what the craziness is that's going on in your life right now, I want to challenge you to act with the courage and the trust and the faith that Joseph showed. Trust God to lead you. Trust him to guide you in the same way he did Joseph. This morning, I want to close our time out 
by just reading some scripture to you. When we're afraid, one of the best things we can do, when we're facing tough stuff, one of the best things we can do is just let God's word wash over our soul. So I want to ask you to do this. I want you to close your eyes and just focus on the words. They're not going to be on the screen because I don't want you with your eyes open. I want every distraction removed. I want you to just have your eyes closed. If you want to read them later, they're in the app. But for now, just listen to what God says to you in your tough stuff right now. And let his calm come over your life and let him give you peace in the middle of it. From the prophet Isaiah, God says this, Listen to the Lord who created you, to the one who formed you. Don't be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I've called you by name, and you, you are mine. When you go through deep waters, I'll be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown, I promise. And when you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames won't consume you, because I'm your God, the Holy One of Israel your Savior. Jesus says in John 14, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace that I give, (laughs) it's a gift the world can't give. So don't be troubled and don't be afraid. Finally, this benediction from Paul in 2 Thessalonians 3. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times, And in every way, may the Lord be with you all. God, thank you for the gift of peace that you offer to us. Help us, God, to unwrap that gift, to drink in that gift, and to live in the peace of mind and heart that you promised us. May that peace settle over each person in this room, no matter what the tough stuff there is in their life right now. In Christ's name, amen.